Hello and welcome to the Pincher Magic Podcast. Today I have another fabulous guest for you. And yes, we are talking about one of my favourite, favourite topics. But that's the wonderful thing about being having my own podcast. I get to talk about things I want to talk about. So today we are joined by Stella Tomlinson, who is the author of Cycles of Belonging. So any regular listeners to the show will know it's cycle time. I love, love, love cycles. And Stella, cycles, we're going to do all the cycles. I love how you've broken it down in your book, actually. Um, Breath, day, blood, lunar, sun, and life. But you have a particular, I don't know if fondness would be the right word, for the wintry seasons. And I think as a society, we overlook that importance so much. But anyway, welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you. It's lovely to be here. So tell us, when did your, like, love of, or even awareness of cycles first become apparent in your own life? I guess, I mean, really, very, very clearly, it was in 2015, when I was 40. But I mean, going back to childhood, I was Mm. very much one for chasing butterflies and staring at the staring at the stars and things like that, and, uh, and communing with the flowers and things like that. But um, but in terms of being really, very, really kind of cyclically aware, it started in 2015. Um, when I um, read um, Code Red by Lisa Lister about mm. the menstrual, menstrual cycle. And um, that kind of set off a little fire, a little explosion within me of, why didn't I know this before? Because yeah. <laughs> I've been very much like a lot of women are, um, obviously had a menstrual cycle. It was a bit of a nuisance. A bit of an inconvenience. Really, yeah. inconvenience. <laughs> I didn't really engage with it particularly. I didn't really know a huge amount about it, but something led me to to pick up that book. And yeah, and I read that and that's what really kind of really got me engaged with my own menstrual cycle. And around a similar, similar time, actually, same year, I was 40. These things happen when you're 40, I think. Oh, things can magical happen. magical time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I also, I picked up a book on Wicca in um, a kind of like remainder bookshop and and I ended up buying it and um I remember reading there about the wheel of the year and reading about Samhain and something just really sort of clicked inside me it's like oh yes this feels like I know this this feels like a remembering yeah yes, the remembering like viscerally I could feel yes this this following the season so yeah so around the sort of similar time-ish I guess I can't quite remember which one came first now but which which book I read first but it's yeah so it's reading reading books being a writer and a very avid reader, often my these things come through through the written word, and um, yes, yeah, so that's what really got me to start well tracking my menstrual cycle first, um, and then very quickly that led to awareness of the lunar cycle more in more detail than I, I mean, I'd always loved to gaze at the moon. Mm. I suppose I hadn't really thought that much about the energies of this, you know, this waxing and waning that's as we see through all of life as I explore through the book. Um, yeah, so that it's, it's from, a, the age, from the age of 40 onwards, from 2015 onwards, that I really started to engage um, with my own experience mm. of feeling into these different energies through my menstrual month, the lunar month and the seasons of the year. And how did that impact, change, enhance your experience of life? The biggest impact, I think, particularly with engaging with a menstrual cycle, is just a greater level of self-understanding and Mm. how 
and why my feelings would be shifting and changing throughout each month. Um, and to be kinder to myself, really, to understand that, you know, that actually life isn't all about just spring and summer, even though our society is geared to that. And that <laughs> Aren't as we youth yeah. or productivity? That's the only thing that you're allowed. Nothing <laughs> else is really kind of like um, approved of, is it? Yeah. Um, it's really that, that's, you know, it's, it was giving myself permission to feel what I f- was feeling and that to understand that often around the the day 25 when when I was having when I had a, men- a, rel- um, a regular menstrual cycle 48 now not so regular um, <laughs> but, um, but to understand that you know that time around often for me around 20 and uh, day 25 I'd feel a bit low energy often quite down confused sometimes angry to realize that this was part of my cycle and that if I could engage with that, it became less gnarly and mm. had information to tell me, uh, to give me feedback on my own life. Um, and Imagine if you had that information oh. when you had your first period. Absolutely. I was 12. And how, how different yeah. those 30 years then yeah. would have been for you, instead of raging against your own body or thinking you had done something wrong or thinking you were just inconsistent and untrustworthy because mm. two days ago you felt fine and now you're like ready ready to tear it all down. I just think if people recognise their own systems and, you know, some of them are menstrual, some of them are just, you know, creativity or intuitive cycles or whatever the cycles we are, I and I've shared this before, but I just think it's the most empowering tool for self-development ever is to know your own cycles, is to, well, to know yourself really, isn't it? Just to understand how you move throughout the day, the month, the year, knowing that we ebb and flow. We are not static straight lines. And if you have a menstrual cycle and you have hormones, you're almost definitely not supposed to be like a static flat line. In fact, I often think, you know, we try and behave like we're flat lines, but that's the one thing in life we don't want to be. Because when we do flat line, it's like we're checking out to whatever mystery comes next. So, yeah. So how have you, how did you like take that information and start living it? How did you start working with that information? So I would um, track. So it didn't do all this, you know, the menstrual cycle for me, you know, as when I first really started engaging with the cycle. Mm. So I was tracking my cycle. So I did it old school in my diary. Yeah, <laughs> just one, <laughs> didn't need an app, nothing fancy. Um, old ways sometimes <laughs> best. <laughs> Pen and paper. So I was literally, you know, what day is it of my menstrual cycle, and how do I feel? Just to see those patterns. Mm. Um, and I know that some people kind of will use that in terms of how they kind of maybe work or work on projects or with their creativity. I personally haven't in a conscious way, more than intuitively kind of think mm. kind of can happen that that way. I mean, I know certainly in more recent years, probably last maybe four or five years, I've really tried to take those days or two before my bleed arrives to be able to to sink deep into that sort of visionary, intuitive, mm. myster- mystical, <laughs> mysterious, magical kind of <laughs> space that, you know, if you can consciously engage with that part of the cycle is I find it really, really deeply 
yeah magical and yeah I love it I mean I know that I I know I'm self-employed I don't have to go out to mm. the door to to go to work at uh, and I don't have children so I so I, I I have a lot of more control over my my hours my life my days and a lot of people I really I recognize that but um yeah it's um it was just yeah it's just it's really is coming back down to that self-compassion and yeah. kindness and self-understanding and um yeah and tapping into the wintry phase of the cycle mm. i know we've, we've spoken about this before on the podcast where like even if you are working in nine to five sometimes just bringing an awareness yeah. that your body needs a little bit more nourishment or a little bit more support or just to slow down and so that that might mean like getting a takeout for dinner or you know having something really simple or having like frozen milk like um to call it meal prepped so you can just like bung something in the in the, uh, the oven rather than thinking oh I've got to do all the the meal prep to get the food ready so even if you do did have a nine to five it's like you might not be able to like take the kind of downtime that you do unless it happens to fall on a weekend or a holiday if we're if we were you know that lucky but it is like I think just bringing an awareness and like you use the word kindness and I think I was, I was chatting to a client this morning and the word welcoming came up and it's like to welcome these moments of rest and renewal instead of fighting against them. And I know that you mentioned like that, the darkness, that wintry time. And I think, again, I was chatting to someone else recently and they were saying, oh, I think I'm self-sabotaging, Rebecca. And I'm like, no, I think you just need rest. You know, oh. you've gone through a, a moment of expansion and then comes the rest. It comes the integration. And they're like, you don't think I'm self-sabotaging? And I'm like, listening to you talk and knowing your patterns, I honestly don't think you're self-sabotaging. I think your body instinctively knows that it needs to rest. And as a society, I don't think we are very good at resting. We don't see the value in it because we're not producing. We're not producing and we're not consuming. <laughs> it's like, what value do we have in a capitalist society? None. But what value do you have for yourself? Everything. So when did you discover like that? I think you've called it wintry seasons or wintering um, might be confusing the, your terminology with someone else. But when did you realize that was a really important like part for you? I think it's not immediately because mm. as you say, there is a very strong societal conditioning about, you know, as you say, keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep, going. <laughs> keep calm and carry on. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> keep producing. So I was thinking, because I, I, I left paid, the, the world of paid employment in 2016. So this is like a year after I kind of discovered all this. So I think probably from then, from there, around then onwards, mm. because I was able to really tune in much more. And, um, and certainly from 2017, I was thinking, I'm trying to think of the, the dates in my life, these kind of little milestones. It's 2017 that I, I started writing poetry and often the words would come in that premenstrual phase. Mm. I'd noticed that I was more open to um, creative muse perhaps put it that way uh, or <laughs> to whatever was speaking through me I'm not, you, know, you can put it that way as well and I was more open to that around the time of my you know, the pre-menstruum and menstruation so I think it was you know there was like an intellectual knowing first 
to yes. the, the, of the capacity, the potential of the different phases of of the of this menstrual cycle and the lunar cycle. It's the you know, same kind of same energies there, and then the actual experiencing it was mm. came a little bit came a little bit later. But um, I very much noticed that in my meditation or yoga nidra, I'd go off into a more sort of floaty cosmic kind of space. Or the liminal space, yeah. <laughs> the liminal space, yeah. Which is like a, a lovely time. I love the word liminality. Um, yeah. Yes. So I think it was, uh, yeah, after yeah. You know, a year or two in, so I really started to notice what was happening for me. I always think we I know think. something and then we know it, don't we? It's like we can intellectualize something and then we kind of embody that experience. And it's like, yeah. and that's where the wisdom comes. And I think that's why I just like so in awe of cycles, not just because it's in us, it's around us, but it just gives us the time to deepen into something again and again and again. So, like in the very beginning of your book, towards the beginning of your book, you talk about the hero- the heroine's journey home. Can you tell us where that came from or, you know, what that means for you or how you work with that rather? So I guess where the term from Kate comes from is that I've been, I imagine I've been reading some Sharon Blackie before I wrote that because she writes about the, the eco-heroine's mm. journey in her book, If Women Rose Rooted. Um, I love that book. Yeah. Oh yes, it's, I've read it so many times. <laughs> dipping back into it. Um, I mean, as a culture, we're very familiar with the hero's journey. Yes. Amount of times I see or hear Joseph Campbell being referenced because he was the person who, in the 20th century, really wrote and spoke about this a lot. About the I do get a slight kind of twitch yeah. in my eye when I read that. It's like, well, what about the hero's journey? <laughs> because it was very much the hero's journey, a linear traveling outwards, mm-hmm. um, overcoming. Um, being the hero, being the hero, and saving the conquering day, the like, dragon, coming absolutely, home, absolutely, slaying the prize, things, conquering, yeah. coming back to glory, and look at me, kind of thing, which is which very is Greek what, mythology. Yes, yeah, it's very, yeah, very. It's, it's been yeah around with us for a long time, but we certainly see it in our in our culture through you know Hollywood movies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So when I, I guess you know, I've always I've always had a feminist slant in my in my uh, in my heart and my soul. So I've always been a bit, a bit, a little bit aware of that, and thinking well, that's just one version of a of a, of a journey. Mm. Um, so I guess the reason I use the term heroine's journey in this book as one of the kind of chapter or sub chapter headings also brings. So it's speaking to that that our culture, you know, is very, very um, much clearer, valorizes, values the hero's journey. But what about? The heroine's journey, the journey, uh, or the you know the journey inwards, mm. the journey down rather than up and out. And also alongside that is the you know we've heard for millennia about God the Father. We haven't heard so much about Goddess the Mother, certainly mm. in you know the Abrahamic um, religions. So that was another big part of why I want what what, what really called me to this cyclic awareness and honoring the sacred cycles of life is the kind of connection to the earth to to the to the goddess to the sacred feminine as a way to counterbalance this often toxic masculinity that we have been force-fed for the last few uh, millennia and um just to, and to recognize that to live in a female body is very is diff, is different to living in a male body and that the male body and the male experience is what is seen as no, the normal well that's what's normalized 
There's a book, I don't know whether you've ever heard of it, called, I can't remember who wrote it off the top of my head, but it's called The Invisible Woman. And it's one of the very few books I haven't been able to finish reading because I was getting so cross every time I read it because it was like our world pretty much is set up for the average white man. Um, and it was like even the car seat belts or the heights of kitchen cabinets or even down to medicine. And it's like designed or tested on um, like the average white man whoever that is, whatever that right. is. And right. it was just like, oh my gosh, no wonder like so many things get overlooked for women or they're mm. more likely to die in a car accident or they're lo- not likely to get the health care that they actually need because, you know, woe women actually have hormones. So it's not very easy to test medicine on women because their hormones yeah. fluctuate, which can change the, the medication. Yeah. So and I was like, test. <laughs> oh my gosh, is it someone Perez? Oh, I can't remember her name. Yes, enough, but Caroline Perez. Caroline Perez. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the invisible yeah. woman and i, know, I was I just like oh my goodness i will i will read finish reading it one day but i was just like oh my gosh again you know the world is set up for that you know like for that for the energy of going 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 of striving 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 with community intuition creativity air quotes the poor cousin um but it's like when you see it written down in black and white with all this, because she's a scientist, with all of the science added yeah. to it, you're just like, oh my goodness. Yes, <laughs> we definitely need a change. The word incandescent is the word that comes <laughs> into my mind when I read about these, read these things. It's like ah, incandescent, that fiery, holy rage. It's like, they're wrong. Because it, it doesn't just hurt, well, it, it hurts everybody. You know, Quite. however people identify or, mm. you know, whatever, it just, it's not good for anybody. Right. Because as you say, this idea of masculinity is a very narrow range. It is mm. white, able bodied, it is privileged, it is, um, yeah, it, yeah, coming from a, you know, a high, high social, education. Yeah, pri- yeah, yeah, privileged in terms of money and education. It's very, mm. very, very narrow. So it damages everybody. You know, it damages whatever, yeah, whatever your gender identity is, whether you're male, whether you're female, whether you're non-binary, whatever. It's, it's damaging. The only people it supports is that very small, you know, mm. 1% of, uh, well, whatever, that's just a random number, but, you know, a very small percent of people who fit into that category. And that's the only yeah. people it's, it's benefits. Although you could, of course, argue it's damaging to their soul, but they might, some of those people might have long parted from their <laughs> relationship from their soul, but there we go. <laughs> no judgment here. <laughs> no judgment. Um, I would say I'm, I'm non-judgmental until it comes to patriarchy and then I get quite judgmental. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I think we're all like that. I was like, we don't, we don't have any issues until we actually come across them. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I love, I love that um, the whole idea of the hero's journey Again, there's another book called The Heroine's Journey by Saul Murdoch. Again, oh, yeah, Maureen Murdoch. that's it, Maureen yeah. Murdoch, totally yeah. rubbish with names. And yeah. hers is that whole journey inwards. Yeah. But even with Joseph Campbell and the whole idea of the monomyth, what I like about that is it still goes in a cycle. You know, we get the call to the adventure, we have the we overcome the obstacles, we have the transformation, we, we come home victorious. And then we go on another quest. And so it continues. Yeah. So it's just like that constant reminding us that life never actually stays the same we are in the constant cycle of growth and decay whether we look out into Mm. nature nothing I always think I always love to look to nature to like take my lessons from life and so many people talk about balance and yet even in nature we are always in harmony rather than balance Mm. apart from two moments a year as we hit the equinox everything else is either growing or decaying resting Mm. and 
I think we could we need to, we need to remember that <laughs> that you know we're not always growing, 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 acting, acting, doing, 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 ever, and nothing ever stays the same, despite our best efforts to try and control life, <laughs> to try and control situations. So, mm-hmm. you start in the book and you talk about the cycle of breath. Mm-hmm. So how how do you work with the cycle of breath? To notice that the is the you know, that your that your breath embodies the cycle of life, the inhale of the spring and summer, and the exhale of the of autumn and winter. So just that it's very simplest, just taking a few breaths, sensing into that as you breathe can I find be, can be a beautifully centering, mm. grounding practice. Um, Again, it's and it's and you know it's that is the cycle that is so immediate and so accessible to notice the inhale and the exhale and how it is um, reflecting the 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 wider cyclic nature of life and it's you know it's there with you every every day you know every breath you take so it can be just a a way of yeah reminding you to take that Mm -hmm. conscious breaths breathing through the seasons and I think. Once you start looking for cycles, we start noticing them everywhere, don't we? And it's like you've yeah. in your book, you go through the breath, then the day, then the blood, then the moon, then the sun, and then of course life. And all of them are just layered reflections of all of it. Like the mm. breath, the inhale, the pause, the exhale, which then becomes the day into night, back into day again, which becomes the lunar size or lunar cycle or your menstrual cycle, or the the solar cycle again, always growing, always decreasing. How do you work with those energies? I, I know in the book you share quite a few rituals throughout it. Is ritual a part, like an important part of your life to connect with those cycles, or or do you, or are the more practical ways, or do you just is it just sort of bringing attention and awareness to them? Well, interesting that actually waxes and wanes itself. So, when, <laughs> so the kind Hashtag of, of course, uh, oh God. <laughs> so I, I was. I mean, between uh, 2018 and 2020, I was I was training as a priestess. So I was very much, you know, learning about and creating my own rituals. And um, uh, yeah, so there's a few years there and often I was writing the book as well. So, so there's a few years there. It was really was very much about simple rituals, you know, often you know, lighting a candle, calling in the, the, the directions, calling in the faces of the goddess and uh, and. You know, I did. I did create simple ceremonies for myself at each points of the um, the wheel of the year to tap into the um, the energies. I think now I probably do it more on a level of awareness. Mm. Um, I mean, having said that, I have got my altar just over my shoulder where where we're talking. Uh, well, one of my altars, <laughs> and I do change that with the seasons and um, and every. Kind of around the dark moon, new moon, depending on my mood. Sometimes it's dark moon, sometimes it's new moon. I know I pull a card from an oracle deck and just sort of feel into fit into the month mm. ahead. So I have these sort of little, I just call them like little, it's awareness with just little mini rituals as and when they kind of call me now. But I know that if I feel called to create sort of more a more ceremonial approach, that I've got the tools and the the kind of the awareness to do that. Yeah. So what- how do you introduce like the awareness to to clients or to people that may be new to cycles what where do you recommend people start i always recommend that if you have a menstrual cycle 
to start with that if possible um because it is such a way that you are embody you are embodying the cycles of life mm. so um that's where i would you know recommend because you know, as i said was what i was doing you know, by charting it what's day of the cycle how do you feel mm. physically emotionally spiritually you might like to notice what phase the moon is in and see if there's any kind of changing there as the, as the moon changes as and as your cycle changes so that's why i kind of i recommend people you know want to start with cycles i do i do also recognize that for some for some people their cycle is a bit traumatic mm-hmm. <laughs> and being a source of incredible pain and and um and discomfort um so if if you find that you it would put you off from starting on this cyclical awareness start with the moon instead then so yeah. yes, find out when the next new moon is and just the same thing you know go through the 29 days of the moon of the of the, of the moon and uh yeah just noticing how you feel yeah. and just do it for a few months and notice patterns if there are any i'm sure i'm sure there will be <laughs> yeah. patterns of how you feel i always think uh the moon is a really good one i mean oh. just because it is more regular than most people's cycles <laughs> yeah <laughs> and if you do yeah, have a cycle yeah. notice how that fits in with the moon but yeah if you do have a cycle gosh you're not going to miss that one um but yeah the moon it it's very very regular <laughs> far, more, far yeah. more regular than some people's bodies for sure totally, totally, um yeah. there's a quote you use in the book and I, again it's i'm coming back to rest because i just oh gosh do we need it as a society and i think you quoted it um as said by David White, and it said, the antidote to exhaustion isn't rest. The antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. Oh. What does that mean to you? Yeah, it's a fascinating quote because I always, I've, I'm like very much, yeah, um, a supporter of resting when we can. But I found that quote really spoke to me. We need both, I just say, as I say in the book, mm. we need both. I mean, it's not an either or. But to live wholeheartedly is to is to live with us acceptance i think of what you're experiencing who you are your challenges your joys to open to life mm. which i think is why it's so important that we do engage with the wintry feelings of of winter of the dark moon of menstruation of the times when we feel down um sort of sorrowful longing i think it's, you know it's to live wholeheartedly is to to quote Rumi to open the guest the, the guest house of the body mind to all comers mm. otherwise i think and i speak from experience that we can end up running away from ourselves we can end up running away from what might feel scary and overwhelming those feelings we've pushed down for so many years in our lives but they all will find a way to come up and explode somehow like (laughs) whack-a-mole yeah yeah, quite quite so there's something there's tenderness there there's a self-compassion in living wholeheartedly yeah I love the word you used was like the acceptance Mm. because wholeheartedly doesn't have to mean jazz hands and yeah. running after everything but it is that wholeheartedness of for me it's like speaks to like knowing yourself intimately mm. of knowing yes. all of yourself the 
you know, what you would class as good or what you would class as bad and like everything in between. And just having that acceptance, like wholeheartedly accepting all of yourself, knowing that we ebb and flow, knowing that we, you know, have our good days and our bad days and they are all valid and welcome. Um, so yeah, it was just, I thought it was a really lovely quote and yeah, some, some exhaustion, because let's face it, some exhaustion isn't fixed by rest because it's a deeper, it's almost like a neglect of self, but maybe that's, you know, a bit more in spiritual terms, but usually we're so depleted. We've gone past physical depletion, <laughs> well into uh, energetic depletion. And I think there is a kind of spiritual exhaustion as well mm. of living in the times that we are living in, in terms of the amount of polarization and anger and aggression and unkindness and pressure and patriarchy <laughs> you know there is a, you know, that it's how yeah that is deeply exhausting to mm. I mean, once a good you've night's seen sleep it, isn't going to help yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> neither all the overeaters in the world though they can help but you know but there mm. is actually and that's actually that's you know it is it is an act of self-compassion and compassion for others to name that, to recognise it, actually, these it is, it is hard. You know, I mean, every point in history, I'm sure it's been hard. There have been things that mm. made it hard to be alive, but but in these times when we all are so so connected and know what's going on around the world, it's it's difficult sometimes to to actually be able to stay with it and see all the the the, you know, the war, the aggression, the the damage, the yeah, yeah. I think one of the the most telling things that I see in many of of my clients is the not understanding what energy belongs to them and what is actually like the collective energy because we are so tapped in to everything we can know in a microsecond what's happening somewhere somewhere else around the world the atrocities the trauma and we can like energetically pick up on that stuff even if logically we know we're safe at home in our house or you know hopefully safe at home um yeah we're so connected into that in this modern world which is amazing because you know look at us chatting to each other and <laughs> that comes with the other extreme too of being so tapped into everything and i think that wintry energy gives us a moment just to unplug to disconnect and to come back home to ourselves it's like it's like almost like letting go of that stuff, the detritus that we've collected throughout the day and just go, oh yeah, this is me. This is my experience. And instead of feeling buffeted by the world, instead of feeling knocked around, instead of feeling hopeless because, oh my God, where do I even start fixing the world? It's like we are no good to anyone else if we're in that energy. But when we can take a moment, like I say, with the breath, breathing in, exhaling, What's that? A few seconds. And it's just like, oh, hang on a minute. Here's me. Here's my experience. What what is mine? Is this mine? Oh, it's not. Okay. Let me drop that down for a moment. And I think it's from there that we actually can become much better members of our community when we're not <laughs> exhausted by all of the things. Is has that been your experience too with like working with the cycles and just I think. One of the other things is when you're like, oh my God, I don't know what to do, is to know that that's changing. There will come spring, summer, winter, autumn, 
you know, everything changes. And I think sometimes in a world where we want everything to be the same and everything to feel safe, and we think by making everything the same is what makes us feel safe, actually the safety is in allowing the cycles to turn, not trying to be on all the time and knowing that you need that rest. Absolutely. That is so, um, so kind of, yeah, vital to, yeah, to realise that, you know, that, yeah, all of life is change. And it, now, you know, it sounds like a cliche that, yeah, all of life is change. But to actually live that and, and realise how you embody it, even if you don't have a menstrual cycle, we all embody, you know, cycles of life. We are, we are mm. part of nature. We're not separate from nature, um, no matter how uh, other few people, the government's in charge might not realise that, but uh, <laughs> but we are part of nature. Um, yeah, and that wintry energy of descent to go down below the surface. So it's a certain bit with, you know, going into our own psyche, our own feelings and needs, you know, it roots us into ourselves, which is, which is why I call my book Cycles of Belonging. It's this mm-hmm. sense of coming back and coming home to yourself, to your cyclic nature, to Mother Earth, um, which we have collectively been, in the, certainly in the West, Westernized societies, have been disconnected, severed from that that innate knowledge. I mean, I've I've had many conversations over recent years about this, and 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 every person I've spoken to who has reconnected to the cycles, particularly their menstrual cycle, it's felt like a coming home, and that's mm. how it felt for me. And then I know how that's how it feels for so many other people. When we realise and when we start to honour our cyclic nature, it's a sense of coming home, a deep sense of yes, this is mm. how how I should be living this is how it's like working with your body rather than against it yeah Yeah, it's honoring honoring your body and honoring your yeah your mind and your emotions and your soul an interesting thing that I've noticed and maybe it's not really that interesting when you actually think about it is that when people do start noticing the cycles the cycles within themselves in particular and then they start noticing the cycles that are happening in the world around them it's like they feel a much deeper sense of connection to the land that they live in. So I've had people that haven't really liked where they've lived because they were living in a city. But when they've started feeling more connected to themselves, suddenly they suddenly like, oh my gosh, I live in London. Look at all the parks. Look at all the grass. Look at all the trees. And suddenly they've changed their entire outlook because they thought they wanted to move because they didn't feel like they belonged. But actually they were just running away from their own not belonging to themselves type energy uh, sorry go on i was just gonna say yeah absolutely i think that's that's a really kind of yeah true the truth isn't it you know and it's, it's, i think a lot of us have that sense of longing for something and longing and searching and looking outside ourselves and uh it's because we you know likely it's because we're disconnected from our own bodies and our own yeah our own minds mm. yeah. but also you know for, I think also when you start to um, connect to these cycles, even if you do live in an incredibly built up area, you can still, you'll notice how the light changes as the seasons change. You know, how there are little bits of, you know, how buddly I have a uncanny knack of just like growing outside of buildings and things like that well, in the UK anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's, as you say, it opens up 
your senses, I think, to notice more. And as I say in my book, you know, cyclic awareness is really an act of paying attention. Mm-hmm. It's paying attention to what is within you and all around you. So, yeah, it is lovely if you do live somewhere in, in the countryside and you can really see a lovely garden, but not everybody lives like that. But you can certainly, even in the most built up area, you can see the light changing. Yeah. <laughs> and what time sunrise is. Yeah. You know, like quite. in the UK, yay, the light, the lighter lights are coming. And it's like, I always think it's funny, like in the middle of summer, we can still have daylight. Well, not daylight, but, you know, a nice light where you could be outside still at like 10 o'clock at night. Mm. But come winter, three o'clock in the afternoon, that's it. Lights are on. (laughs) It's like it's such a variation. And, Mm. you know, for people that don't live in seasonal places that have seasons, I'm like, like, oh, that would be quite bizarre um, for me. But there are other ways to connect in with that energy also, I mean, I I love living in the UK and just watching the 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 stark contrast of seasons. And it's like every year I'm like, oh, the snow drops, or everything's white, and then it goes from yellows to purples, mm. and then it'll go back to white again. And it's just fascinating just watching that come. And there's a real beauty in that. And I think one of the other reasons I love cycles so much is like even in the depths of winter, in the, here in the UK, it's grey, it's gloomy feels like there's barely any sunlight but you know spring's coming so even in those darkest moments of winter it's like it's okay I just have to get through this winter's coming uh, sorry spring is coming like for my own mental health that wants a little bit of sunshine and I think we can take that like when we're in those dark, mo- darkest moments in our life it's like because we can trust the cycles and the seasons it's like oh my god today's really hard but actually I can, you know, I can move through this. It's like maybe it's getting support. Maybe it's having your own tools or rituals to like lean into. But it's like, oh, we know everything continues to change. And even in those amazing moments, we know that's going to change. And it's like to really savour those moments to know that, you know, things are going to change. It's going to become a new normal or that party is not going to last forever or whatever it is. But then to really like relish those moments too, because we know that they don't last forever. And so I think there's a real, I think I I spoke about this in the last podcast actually, but you use the word senses and it is, it's like coming back to your senses. It's like when we are embodied, that's when we have our power because we are less susceptible to other people's expectations, judgments, opinions, because we're already filled with our own essence. doesn't mean we ignore them. It just means we can use discernment to decide, is that the correct thing for me? Whereas when we have no idea, when we are buffeted around by the world, when we are exhausted physically, emotionally, energetically, spiritually, it makes us much more susceptible to other people's impressions or judgments or societal expectations. And so just that idea of coming back to your senses of smelling the flowers, <laughs> as cliche as it sounds, but it's like to feel the sun on your face or the cold on your face. It's just bringing you back to your own sense of centre, your own sense of self, which comes back to your reclaiming that connection to self. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what has been your biggest... I guess learning for yourself working with the seasons and the cycles. It does come. Oh, it's two things. One is, is that I've already spoken about or touched mm. on is is that self compassion, that kindness. Yeah. That you know, it's okay you know, to not feel okay to 
perhaps use another cliche, but I think we all often need reminding that. It's okay. You don't, yeah. don't have to be smiling all the time. Cliche, but cliche uh, for a reason. <laughs> well, quite. Well, they normally aren't. Um, and September, she's kind of all dropped for me re- in recent, well, the last year, really, because I've been working on, on an, another book. Mm. Is actually to engage with the wintry energy of of grief that sounds mm. a little bit but I oh, think, we have a terrible relationship with oh, death quite. and grief yeah and not, not just about not just about the grief with true bereavement but the fact that I think at the heart of a lot of our sort of sorrow and longing is uh, is there are different types of losses mm. loss of hopes and dreams loss of well they're the all um, many bereavements aren't they they're all many deaths they are all many deaths when something doesn't go the way that we expected it to yeah. or and then, yeah and there and it's kind of like a disenfranchised grief because it's not recognized by our society i mean grieving the death of lo- death of a loved one is barely kind of given much space you might get a few a little bit of time off work and then it's like Come on, mm. carry on now. Get over it. You've had a week. That should be yes, enough. Yeah. Well, yeah, and if you're not, they'll give you some antidepressants or something, you know, just to medicate you out of it. But um, so, and I know, and that is the energy around winter, the wintry energy of of yes, the winter energy is of death, and that death is a part of life. And I do, I've just been, you know, as I say, reflecting on this over the last year that there's so much of our heartache is it's around unacknowledged losses Mm. I think of as I say hopes and dreams also it can be as your identity changes you know it could be that you've sought it's an it's a change you've sought out you've got a promotion at work yes it's like oh now I kind of the loss of the the perhaps the and not having been quite so putting in with the team and suddenly (laughs) you'll have the hierarchical power of being the boss right yeah Um, and i'm and i'm 48 i'm in perimenopause now and i'm i can you know my body is starting to change my face my hair is changing and there's like there's a you know to name actually yes there is a a grief around that Mm. and there's also a lot of pressure to to carry on looking young so you've got all that to deal with as well you know grieving the fact that we live in a misogynistic society grieving the fact that we live in a racist society that heteronormative and you know class privilege grieving all that you know there's so much to mourn and yet let's all be spring and summer all the time let's just yeah keep yeah keep going let's just smile and let's just paper over the cracks with busyness and medication and social media and how different do you think our society would be if we held grief tenderly? If we welcomed grief? It would be a lot kinder. It would be a lot more spacious. It would be a lot more grown up. I, you know, grown up's an interesting word, but yeah. Yeah, because I don't know if you've ever read anything by um, Bill Plotkin. He, um, no. So he is... Um, I've forgotten how quite he describes himself. He's certainly a writer because he's written quite, written quite a few books. There's a book I'm reading. It's a massive book. I haven't read it all yet. Called um, Nature and the Human Soul, and he looks at the evolution of the kind of psyche in terms of the, psych- the seasonals. And he he talks about how our industrialized growth cultures are stuck in a form of patho adolescence. Mm. 
Mm. So it's fine to be adolescent, you know, testing boundaries and being a bit kind of grumpy and like. That's how we find out who we are. Absolutely. But if you can't move beyond that into adulthood, into elderhood. You're just becoming annoying. Yeah. But as a a culture, the westernized cultures are is you know he, he talks about them being stuck in in that patho like a pathological a- adolescence and that really kind of chi- that really resonated mm. with me and that's why I used the word grown up because you know children well maybe some children can but I don't children can children perhaps not quite get their head around the idea of death perhaps it scares them but again again that's probably just how because of our culture um and also adolescents can kind of have that think of Thing of oh I'm I'm indestructible I'm going to live forever, mm. <laughs> um, and then you know as adults if we're carrying on like that where we can might, might indulge in risky behaviours which aren't good for our bodies or minds or souls, and also it's I think that's why you know as we get older particularly as women get older the society tries to sideline us because it is a, phys- a physical reminder that we all age and that death is the ultimate end. So, yeah, I think we'd be a more mature society. There'd be more compassion. There'd be more understanding. Yeah. I think if we could, I mean, if we, yeah, if we could honour grief, death and grief as part of the cycle of life. We're so afraid by it, aren't we? I mean, like even Mm. to the point where people can't make decisions because the word decision comes from the etymology of the word to cut. Because when Mm. we make a decision, we cut away the other options. We cut Mm. away the other opportunities that could have been there when we commit to something. And so many people are like, I can't make a decision. I don't know what to do. And they like do pros and cons and then they check in with their intuition or they have an oracle reading or they do all those things. And it's because once we do... We have to be, be cut away the other options. But what if they were right? And so we get mm-hmm. stuck in this like almost fear of potentially lost opportunities rather than oh. committing to something that could still actually be potentially amazing. And it's just like just starting. So even from obviously there's death at one end of the spectrum, but right at the other end, it's just like just to make a choice. <laughs> it's like it's so hard for so many people to do. So, yeah, I, I kind of mm-hmm. like that idea i remember it's interesting what you said about children though because i don't think children are inherently as scared as of mm. death as parents or as sorry as adults kind of project onto children because there was yeah. this study done of children who were in hospital with like terminal illnesses and a lot of the children were only afraid of death because of how the parents were grieving in front of their child and a lot of them, when they kind of remove that from the equation, the child was actually, you know, as okay as you can be. Because, I mean, at that age, what what do you even know anyway? But it is as we, we just have this absolute fear of loss. And, and you know, yeah. rightly so. It's bloody painful. Mm. Who wants to go through that? But yeah, I think if we gave people the space to mourn, to grieve, to do like proper wailing, you know, even if it was for, you know, not getting a job interview. Oh, don't worry. There'll be others coming in. It obviously wasn't yeah. the right one for you. So instead of like dismissing it, having ritual around grief, I think is a mm. really, really powerful thing. I often think I, where I live, you know, there are houses around, but it wouldn't take me too long to get out into the middle of nowhere. Mm. Like what it would be to do like a proper wailing ritual and just like howl 
I think I'd terrify um, myself or the, or the police would come running. I'm not sure. But it's it amazing, is, actually. It's amazing. Yeah, I've actually experienced experience that because on my uh, priestess training, I was a priestess of, of Bridget. Mm. And um, in some of the kind of stories of hers that she, you know, she, she, she was, she keened for the death of what was her son. I know. Um, anyway, so part of the, the training, we actually, um, I was going to Glastonbury to do it and we went into the White Spring in Glastonbury mm. and which if anybody hasn't been there, you're literally going into the kind of like the, the womb of the, the, the tour, you're going into the ground. And when we, we'd got it as a private, um, our group as a private um, um, experience you close the door in the white spring it is pitch black there's no natural there's light, no light at, all, at all so we had candles and then in the white spring there is an altar to bridget in a in one corner so we were sort of sitting in that in this sort of kind of womb within a womb a kind of space of mm. in the white in the white spring and uh, our teacher she extinguished all the candles and then we started to to keen we started to so it started to, I think it was like 12 of us 13 of us so kind of in the pitch black, starting to moan, and then it kind of like built, and they were kind of crying and shrieking and wailing, and it was really, really intense, beautiful experience actually. Because mm. I've always been quite afraid of the dark, but when we're and this is the only time I've ever been in the pitch black, and I actually I know we are, I knew I was safe, but my ner- yeah. my nervous system is very very hyper vigilant. Um, doesn't take much for me to go. <laughs> yeah, but I actually felt really, really grounded, really, really centered, and it just really felt so enveloping. The darkness felt so. I really did feel like I was being held by mm. something beyond words, by the mystery, by the goddess. So yeah, that was a profound. How did you experience. find that experience of keening for you? How did you feel after it? felt quite free yeah. lighter there's something as well about doing it in a group as well it felt really primordial it felt ancient it felt like this was like millennia of women keening for Screaming all of our losses for, yeah yeah yes. wailing for all of the, the grief of the world and uh did you yeah. get into the spring afterwards it's freaking cold in there, anyway. <laughs> no, Imagine an ice ball. <sighs> My oh, goodness. No. I have it. We did on another of our, I think it's another of our weekends. We were mm. invited to actually immerse ourselves, but I did check it out because we'd been no, on the I tour and that. it was freezing cold and I'm not good at the cold. And I got a bit English about it. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did stand there looking at the edge of the pool for quite some time. And then I did plunge in. And then okay. once my body had frozen, I could stay in there a bit longer. But yes, whew, that definitely is is clearing. And I, I, you know, going back to that idea of being scared of the dark. I mean, I often joke that um, we are taught to be afraid of the dark. We're taught mm. like that's where the monsters are. And, mm. you know, that's where all the bad stuff is. But it's also where our wisdom is, where our intuition is, where the healing comes from. It's like when we're ill, we close our eyes and we surrender into the, the nourishment of rest. I always say like good things happen in the dark. It's like where you kiss, you like you kiss someone and you close your eyes. It's like the magic is in the dark. And yet I still go out into the countryside. I'm like, oh my God, a fox is going to get me. Did I hear? What did I hear then? So it's like, I'm not afraid of my inner darkness, but yeah. ooh, countryside darkness is a little bit different. I know um, exactly what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know why. I love foxes, but I'm just, I, I'm absolutely like paranoid a fox is going to come and bite me. Don't know oh. why. I've never had a bad experience with a fox. I've had foxes cross my path and they've been absolutely fine with me. But yeah, I'm like, oh. in the dark though, a fox is going to bite me. I suppose it's better than, um, you know, some monster coming out and getting me. But yeah, yeah. So I'm like, oh my God, yeah. the darkness. But yeah, I think we definitely need to 
embrace more of the darkness because it is mm -hmm. the place where we get held as, as you experienced mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. yes and it's there what i've often with the poetry aspect of what i write often they've the words have started to come when i've been sort of sitting in meditation with my eyes closed mm. and i've gone into that yeah that looking at the space. distraction aren't you well quite yeah, yeah well absolutely yeah. yes yes so when is that book obviously cycles of belonging is available now for everyone yes. to come and get link will be in the show notes when is your next book your book of poetry going to be available so it's called i am with you and it's words of comfort and strength for difficult times and it's going to be out on may the 19th so it's um it's poems and an accompanying reflections there's uh, 70 poems mm. 70 or so reflections sort of the poems are the uh the words i wrote because really the last year or so particularly last couple of years i kind of been had a bit of a psychological descent into my over the last few years really kind of the wounds of child from childhood and and you know, so that inner child who need who so was desperate for my love and, and as I engaged with that um, last year I started writing the poems the poems came to me often when I was journaling or sitting feeling mm. engaging with these kind of inner inner grief and then the the reflections I kind of wrote you know, it's like it's a different it's a different energy different headspace so uh which is more kind of lessons and practices to help to to support the kind of poems kind of yeah so yeah out in me yeah, fantastic so let everyone know where they can come and find you where's your favorite place to hang out again all of this will be in the show notes but where is the best place to come and connect with you of on social media it would be on instagram where i am stella tomlinson dot author and uh, where I'm sharing now um, words of my, my forthcoming book. I shall be, I'll, I'll start sharing the, the cycles of belonging in my other books again, but at the moment I'm pretty focusing on, the, on I Am With You. Uh, so that's where you can find me on social media. I don't really, I am on Facebook, stellatomlinson.author. I don't go on there so much. It's mostly Instagram. And also I have um, a Substack, which is uh, mm. A new way of, a new old way of vlogging, old new <laughs> way of vlogging, <laughs> uh, which is stellatomlinson.substack.com, which is free to subscribe to. And it's a weekly, weekly letter for your soul, I call it. So, uh, oh, nice. Simple, simple, soulful words, which is a weekly yeah. letter for your soul. So Fabulous. Well, think. thank you very much for sharing your own heroine's journey of embracing the cycles and what's coming up next. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs>